0: Well, praise God, it's so good to gather on this uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, Jeff Mitchell said, all is right with the world because I have my sweater back on and there's no need to divide the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know a couple of you said uh, by uh, next week we're going to take the piano and actually have it over here in the corner and see the response of everybody, uh, how it's going to be. And, of course, uh, we jest about those things, and we're so thankful again for uh, Jesus Christ and all that he means again for us. And and I'm so thankful for uh, John chapter 14. It it begins what's called the Olivet uh, Discourse, or not the Olivet Discourse, I'm sorry, the Farewell Discourse of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And it's by all accounts, in many people's estimation, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. And really, when you look at the truths and the awesomeness again of the truths again you can certainly see that therein you know jesus is trying to stem all the fears that having to begin of the disciples he's announced he's going away and he gives them these precious and glorious promises about his going away and necessity of going his way but have you ever noticed you know, very early on, there's a lot of conditional statements. There's a lot of ifs that happen to be again right here. In other words, the, if this takes place, then this will take place. And we can see it again through the passage. In fact, you can see it in verse number three. And he says, and if I go, go, go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So for Jesus Christ to go away, you know, for, for this to take place, for him to prepare a place for us, for him to come back, he has to go away. He has to give his life as a perfect ransom for sin. He has to pay that propitiatory sacrifice to satisfy the Father that happens to be again above that uh, that he, he might come again. And so all the promises again are incumbent on the Lord Jesus Christ going away. We also have another conditional statement in verse number seven he says, if you had known me you would have known the Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him." And what he's telling us here is the interconnectedness of the triunity of God. That you cannot have the Father without the Son. You cannot have the Son without the Father. But both of these are connection. To deny one is really to deny the other. And it really speaks about the uniqueness of the one God in three persons that we worship. And another conditional statement is the one we looked at last time, and it says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And we discussed the the importance of that, that if we ask anything, again, of the Savior, he will do it. But it's according to his will, isn't it? It's according to his name, his reputation, according, again, to who he happens to be, and it has to be according to his name. And the reason why I bring all these conditional um, uh, uh, things up is because of the verse that we're going to look at this afternoon, which happens to be verse number 15, because we have another conditional statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now think about that. Because I think probably 90% of the Christians, and I'm going to begin right here, uh, could quote that verse. Even before I, before I said it, they might not know where it is, you know, but they would, they would be able to say it. They, they're familiar with this. If you love me... You will keep my commandments. We know the Lord Jesus Christ said that, but a lot, but most people don't know where it is, where to find it in the word of God. And isn't it amazing? It's right in this passage of scripture with all of these wonderful, all of these deep, all of these glorious promises. And well, what he's indicating, and this is so important, who these promises truly are for. They are for those who love Jesus Christ, who follow his commands. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are these commands for us? And I think that's such an amazing question, isn't it? Because when we look at love, love has so many uh, definitions. It's so moldable, malleable today in our society as far as what love is. Now, we counter as a people of God many times, and we say, well, love has a definition. You know, love is sacrificial. It's willingly giving up what I can have for the welfare of those that happen to be around us. And if we said that we'd be absolutely right. But I think we still take some of the world's definition and many times meet it with our own definition and we basically say something like this, love and law are separate. You cannot be loving and at the same time be lawful. Both those things go uh, don't go hand in hand. We have an obligation to follow the law here. We have love that happens to be over here. They're two different things. And let me just say that that kind of thinking that happens to be out there is so rampant today, and it may, and it and it, beca- and it comes at, at such an excuse of following the clear word of God. People have used that excuse for such things as adultery, such things as same-sex marriage, such things again as even leaving a marriage because I have to find myself, I have to be true to my own loves, I have to really do the things that I desire that happen to be again in, in our lives. You know, and the one constant in this world of flux that happens to be again right here is this idea again of love. And the basic philosophy that happens to begin, um, be, be uh, behind there is that's all we have is love. You know, we have to follow our hearts. We have to be true to ourselves. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but our world around us happens to be rampant with that. And there's two things we forget about many times, especially as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one is that God is God, isn't he? And he's the one, again, who has created us. He's the one who has given us language. And he's the one who has given language definition. In other words, we do not come without definitions of what love is. And probably the greatest description of love that we have in all of the word of God happens to be in Matthew chapter 22. And it begins in verse number 36. Here's a question that's being asked of Jesus. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And listen to what he says. He says, Because he defines love and the confines of love actually in the law. Actually in law-keeping, doesn't he? Because he says this. and And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And notice. He's giving you the greatest commandment. He's giving you the second greatest commandment. You know, and many times we show how those two are linked, and, and I'm not going to spend any time on that tonight, but I want you to see that he says this. He says, if you obey these two commands, if we love God with all of our being, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we fulfill the whole law. All of the prophets, all of the law are contained in these two commands. And You can certainly see that in the Ten Commandments, right? We have the first table that has to do with our duties before God, and we do it in a loving way, and we follow him. And then we have the duties that happen to be again before man. And we realize, again, it's more than just negative, right? It's more than just I do not lie, but I speak the truth in love. It's more that I don't, I, I, I don't covet, but I really work hard with my hands so that I might lovingly meet the needs of those that happen to be again around us. We realize this beyond a shadow of doubt. And the other things that this definition, many times, you just got to follow your heart, just got to follow your heart, just got to just let love again control you, is many times it leaves out God. I mean, where's God in all of that picture? You know, you hear this many times, maybe about same-sex marriage or maybe about something else. Well, they're not hurting anyone. And let me tell you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, we were made to worship this great God. And to ignore his word, to ignore his commandment, is, is to despise God. It's not to love God. It's to trample his worth that happens to be again under, under his feet. So we listen to this, and Jesus is defining true faith. He's defining who these, who these promises are for. You know, what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ by this statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he, he combines both law-keeping, disobedience, and love together. And I really want us to see that tonight. And I really want us to understand, again, what what it is when he talks about loving obedience, what that truly looks like, what it means in this definition that he gives us. And then I want us to see the overflow of that, as we know beyond a shadow of a doubt these promises are for us. In other words, it gives us, the more we look at this, the more we look at Christ, the more that we see this in our life, it gives us a greater assurance of our salvation and that these promises are truly ours in Jesus Christ. You know, but the first thing that I want us to look at is what loving obedience is. And we see that, again, in this passage, at least it's teaching that, right? It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and there's certainly a teaching that happens to begin out there that says that uh, obedience really has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with, you know, why we're accepted in, in the Lord. And there's a way that that's true, and there's a way that that's false. But what they mean mean by it is that Jesus Christ has filled the whole law. He has become obedient, and then he took the sacrifice upon himself, so I do not have to obey the law. You know, and we realize it's, it's the glorious doctrine of justification by faith. I stand complete in Jesus Christ. And salvation is not anything less than that. But let me tell you, it's so much more. It's not only that Jesus has saved me from the penalty of sin for me to go on and just sin and live any way that I want to, but he's also saved me from the tyranny, from the power of sin that happens to be in our life. So he's not saved me that I might not obey the law, but he saved me. He's given me this new nature, here it is, that I might might obey the law, that I have a heart for Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but now I can follow and cherish and rejoice and obey this great Christ of the Scripture. And so there's a number of things that we have to see in this verse, and one is that I want to make this again so clear. That this command of Christ, the commands in the New Testament, the commands in the Old Testament are this. They're personal, right? Jesus says, if you obey, here it is, my commandments. Do you see it? There's a personal pronoun there. He doesn't say if you believe the commandments, but my commandments, you know, and so when we look into the into the Word of God, when we see these commands, we think back to the character of Christ. We think about who he is, the great God-man who came to give his life. We think about his nature. We think about his love. We think about his grace. We think about the totality of who Jesus is. And then when we hear these commands, we want to do his will. So it's not impersonal. You know, several years ago, probably about 30 years ago, I sat down and, and uh, wrote a test, and I can remember what that test was. That test was in order to get my beginner's permit that I might start driving. You know, and if you have ever done that, it's, it's uh, fascinating because you have to study this little book, and you go in this little office, they give you a... Li- These little, um, I think most of them, again, were multiple choice and you have to choose the right one. If you get high enough score, praise God, you get this little permit and then you have to drive with somebody else for a while and then have a test after that. But let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I don't know who wrote that book. You know, I never had a personal relationship with him and I really didn't care as long as I got my learner's permit. I had no love for the author of that book. When it comes to Scripture, it's so different, isn't it? Because when it comes to Scripture, the reason why I want to learn the Word of God, the reason why I see the commands that happen to be in Scripture is because of this. It's personal. It's been written by God. These are Christ's commandments. Every single one and one of them. So the strength behind it, the buttress behind of wanting to obey is this great love for the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? These are personal commands. And what we look at here is loving obedience, and I love that. You know, it's not just obedience. You know, anyone can obey. You know, a hypocrite can obey. He can want other things and long for other things and have no heart for God, but maybe he wants to do it out of reputation. And he looks again in the Word of God and tries to figure these things out and tries to obey again as much as he can. You know, and we realize that's not what Jesus Christ is calling for right here. He's calling for this. He's calling for loving obedience. In other words, a motivation that happens to be in our heart to want to honor, to want to glorify Christ. Nobody, nobody is ever honored just by rote, ritualistic, dead, orthodox uh, obedience. No one's ever honored by that. Just going through the motions. You know, this is what the Word of God says, so I've so I got to do it. God is never honored by that. And let, me, and let me say, when people do that, when people, again, even, even try to relate to us in that way, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're not loving us. You know, picture this. Here, here's somebody who's done great harm in your life. You know, maybe they've sinned against you in word. Maybe they've done some, some action to embarrass you. And maybe, again, they have even might have uh, scorned and ridiculed you. But they read in the Word of God how God, again, has forgiven us and that we need to forgive other people. So they come to you again and said, you know, I was reading in the Word of God, and the Word of God says, and if I want forgiveness, I have to, I, I, I have to make sure that I have no debts. And I have and I, sinned against you, and I want to be right with God. And I certainly don't want to be here, and I don't want to ask for forgiveness. But guess what? The Word of God says I have to ask for forgiveness. So if I'm going to obey God, if I'm going to be a good believer... You know, will you forgive me? Well, let me tell you beyond a shadow of doubt. Do you feel respected by someone who would say that? Do, do you feel loved But love? Do you feel like a weight has come off your shoulders? And the answer is what? No. And let me say beyond why would we ever think that we could honor God in the same way? Why, why do we ever think that we could glorify Him in this way? In fact, in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse number three, it says this: If we give away all that I have, and I deliver my body to be burned, but do it, but have not love, I I gain nothing. And think about what he's saying. If all of a sudden I sold everything that I owned, emptied out my bank account to give to those who happen to be in need, or if I gave my body to be burnt for the cause of Christ, and I really don't have a motivation to honor, to glorify, to magnify, to really cherish him, he says, that it profits me nothing. You know, even this skin level of obedience that happens to begin out there. You know, even Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, here it is, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now let me ask you, is prophesying in the name of Jesus a good thing? Is casting out demons? Is doing many mighty works in the name of Jesus Christ A good thing. You know, what's the problem? And the problem is this, I never knew you. There's no personal relationship. There's no personal motivation because I'm in relationship with Jesus that I want him honored, that I want him glorified, that I want him magnified. And this is what you have to understand. You know, without obedience, in this type of obedience, loving obedience, there's no honor that's brought to the Father. There's no honor that's brought to Jesus Christ that happens to be above. When somebody comes to me and they've done great harm and have sinned against me and brought much pain that happened to be in my life and they come to me absolutely broken because of what they've done and say, I am here because I have sinned against you. I've caused you pain and there's a great pain here. And I really want to lift this burden off you. You know, it's not about me. It's not about me even being right with God. I want to lift this burden off you. Will you please forgive me? Can you tell me any way that I can make this right? If you can't forgive me right now, I understand. I have done this breach against you. You get the idea that the person is is serious. You get the idea that the person really does care for you. And why? Because there's an inward motivation, there's an inward care and concern that happens to begin right there. It's not lifeless. Our obedience to Jesus Christ is never to be lifeless, it's never to be cold, it's never to be bland, it is to be a loving obedience. So these commands that happen to be in the Word of God, the reason why we obey them in love is they're personal. And we realize the obedience that He's calling us to is a loving obedience. But the third thing that I want to point out about this is that disobedience is the true heart of God. Right? Did you notice here that it's not a command to love Jesus? Did you notice that? This is not a command. This is not saying, I command you to love me. I am Lord. That's not what he's saying. Certainly God commands us in other places of scripture to love him. But what he's telling me this is how you know. This is how you know that you love me. If you love me. It's, it's a statement of fact, isn't it? If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's not saying you might. It's not saying it's a good thing. It's not saying, again, that this might, you know, lean towards uh, people coming to a recognition that you love me. He says, no. If you truly love me, if you're one of the true believers, if you truly am a follower, am cherishing Jesus Christ, then you obey the commands that I have spoken. Now, a lot of people will argue against that. You know, and a lot of people many times will start thinking about the sin that they have and the sin that they want to keep, and they'll argue against this text. And one of the favorite passages of Scripture that they turn to many times because they say, Pastor, you can't, I can't add good works, can't add good works. Be careful, be careful. That's going to be a false gospel. And one of the passages of Scripture they go to so often is Ephesians chapter 2. And in verse, at verse 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one will boast. There it is! Right? There is no works that happen to be again in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and that's, that's just stated. Many times in that way. But you know what comes after Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9? It was just up there a second ago. What comes? Verse number 10. And verse number 10 explains this trusting of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, here it is, walk in Then, what's the sign that we're born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? One of the clearest signs that we're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've trusted in him, that we've passed from darkness into light, is that we have a desire to do his commands. We, We love him and desire to follow him. Now, does that mean beyond a shadow of a doubt that we do things perfectly? And the answer is absolutely not. You know, in fact, John even writes in another place, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, here it is, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do you hear that? You know, anyone who says, no, no sin in me, perfectly sanctified, again, John is telling us that the truth is not in him. But there is a trajectory. There's a direction that we're going in our lives, and it's towards Jesus Christ. It's towards further obedience. So think of how this all plays out. Think of what it looks like in the life, again, of the believer. Here it is, here it is. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And then John says, you know, and this is all by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth is not in it. How do we rectify those things? And we rectify those by, by living out our faith. Right? So here is a Christian husband. Here is a Christian father. And all of a sudden, he's studying again the word of God and seeing the greatness of Christ, the greatness of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he hears these commands that may be in the word of God about loving his wife as Jesus Christ loved the church, of fathering his children and pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he becomes convicted of the areas of laziness, of the areas where he has thought more about himself than his spouse, than he has spent more time with himself doing the things that he wants Rather than honoring and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ, I and mean, God begins to outwork that repentance and that obedience that happens to be in His heart more and more as He goes on. Think of it again as a uh, young person, as a uh, child that happens to begin in the home, whether it happens to be a teen, whether it happens to be in single digits. The more that you learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, you might look at the, the uh, commands that your parents give you as absolutely arbitrary. And some of them, again, is absolutely foolishness. But the more I learn about Christ and his preeminence, the more I realize whether I agree with this command or not, this is a way that I can honor Christ. This is a way that I can glorify him. And I'm I'm no longer going to stifle. I'm no longer going to argue about this command or that command that happened to be right there. And there's a further molding into the image of Jesus Christ. There's a further going in that direction of obedience. The same with a Christian housewife, right? We might look at that, and it's incredible how some Christian housewives talk about their husbands. You know, they use words like moron, idiot, to speak of their husbands, You know, as they read the word of God and they're convicted beyond a shadow of a doubt that God, again, here it is, Jesus Christ honors the Father. And Jesus Christ, my example and how I'm to treat, how am I to think, how am I to talk about my husband? And they're convicted of it. And they actually repent of it and change their behavior little by little by little by little. That's what's going on. But here's the whole point. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's a trajectory in that direction. And every single individual that's truly a born-again believer in Jesus Christ is going towards that direction, towards that further obedience in the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, let me bring out a second point. And the second point basically is this. Loving obedience is the basis of assurance. It's one of the buttresses that really, again, the more that we see it in our lives, the more that we understand, again, how how, how it dovetails and it works out in our salvation, the greater assurance, the greater confidence, the greater security that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's two avenues of security. And let me just say this, one comes before the other. You know, if you somehow conflate these or if you somehow manipulate them and get backwards, it's going to have disastrous effects in your security in Jesus Christ. You know, and so we have, the first question we have to ask is, why am I saved? You know, what's my confidence as I come before the gates of heaven, as I come before the great throne room of my great God, that God will accept me into his presence? And the reason why is not because of our good works. The reason why is not because of the fruit that happens to be in our lives. And that's where we start so often, isn't it? We start to examine our own hearts, our own lives, to see if we're truly in the faith. And here's the amazing thing. If you examine all of the commands that happen to be of Christ, even these various different fruits that are evidence for salvation, this is what you're going to find. You're going to find its wanting in your life. None of us live up to it perfectly. And if we start there, let me see beyond the shadow of it, we're always going to struggle with this security. Where we stru- start is looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, looking again at His finished work, looking at what He's purchased for us for all of eternity, right? We don't look at what we've done. A lot of people, again, do that. I can remember somebody in my office, again, one time, and they kept going over, you know, I don't know if I'm a born-again Christian, I don't know, again, if I'm truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I asked why. And they talked about several years ago, that they didn't know whether they were sincere when they said the sinner's prayer, you know, whether they believed enough that moment that they actually passed from death to life. And I said, I don't care what you, what you believed back then, and they were always shocked by that. I care about what you're trusting in today. Are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Because that's our only hope, not what you did back then. Who are you trusting in today? Trusting in Jesus Christ or something else. And that's the first line. That's where we start. But the second line is to recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt: if we have new life, if we've been given to salvation, we have been given new life. And with that new life comes a new disposition to follow Christ. In fact, again in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, we read this: And by this we know that we have come to know Him. How? If, there's a condition, we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now think about it, because there's two professions of faith taught in these two verses, isn't there? You know, and one of them says, again, I know him, but I have this sin, and I am unwilling. You know, it's not talking about the struggles that happen to be in our life. You know, I struggle in this area, struggle in this area. I've fallen again over here, but I've gotten up. I've repented of this. I'm trying to change that. i to be again over here. It's not talking about that. But when I have a sin that I am unwilling to repent of, unwilling to turn, this is what a person will say. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And this is what John says. John says, again, if that's your profession of faith, here it is. The truth is not in you, and you are a liar. And let me say, I'm not saying that. John ultimately is not saying that. But this book has been written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The one who is saying that is not me, is not somebody else. It's the great God that happened to me again in heaven. And I wonder... As you look at your life, as you look at your testimony, as you look at the things that your heart truly cherishes and you cherish something above Christ and you're unwilling to give it up, let me ask you beyond a shadow of a doubt, do you have any right, according to the authority of God's word, or according to what God has spoken in his word, to claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, you might start making arguments that happen to be again in your soul. No, no, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. This is why. This is why. This is why. Let me tell you deal with the truth, what God says. Deal with what He says in, in, in His Word. And realize what Christianity is. Christianity is a love relationship. It's not, again, just this transaction, it's a love relationship with Jesus. And please get this it's not a love relationship of equals, right? right? Equals can many times differ on various different things. He is King. He is Lord. He is all. And that's why, again, we want to obey Him. We want to cherish Him. We want to trust Him. We want to walk in His wisdom. We want to obey Him for who He is. You know, it's the heart of love that happens to be, again, right there. And that's one profession of faith that happens to be found in 1 uh, John chapter 2. But there is a second profession of faith. And this is what Jesus is even talking about here in John chapter 14. And that happens to be the true believer, right? The true believer in Jesus Christ, the true one who is born again believer in Lord Jesus Christ, who has passed from death to life, passed from darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, obeys the truth and walks in it. And I find 1 uh, First, First, First John uh, First John, which, happened, which whole point to show you whether you happen to be in the faith or not, that's the whole point again of the book, is many times taken by pastors and what they do is they beat the people of God with it, beat the people of God and they think again a good sermon is everybody to walk out and everybody to be questioning the validity of their salvation. And that's not the purpose of the book. The whole purpose of 1 John is that we would know that we are in the faith. In fact, in chapter number 5, in verse number 13, he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, right? Here it is. I may know that you have eternal life. That's the whole purpose. So by examining my life, seeing the trajectory that happens to be in my life, seeing that there's nothing, yes, I struggle, yes, I fail, yes, I don't watch my tongue, yes, sometimes I get in trouble, yes, I do all of these things, but there's no, again, but the general direction, the general demeanor, is this transformative life towards the Lord Jesus Christ, right? There's no sin that I'm holding dear in my heart that I am unwilling to repent. And you know what he says? Rejoice, because these promises are for you. These promises are for those who've truly been born again in, in, in this great salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce writes about this. He says, it does mean that if you detect within yourself a new yearning to please God. If sin begins to disturb you, if you increasingly long to be like Jesus, then God is at work. And you should rejoice in the truth. Here it is. He who began a good work in you will keep on performing it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's such a comforting truth. Richard Phillips writes something similar. He says, Be greatly re- encouraged then, If you desire to show your love to Jesus by obeying his commands, take heart and be assured of God's saving work in your life. Now, based upon that, press on in new obedience and enter into the joy of yielding yourselves more and more fully in loving embrace of Christ's commands, knowing that in this way you not only prove your love for Christ to yourself, but show your love to him who has loved you and laid down his life for your sins. So the more that we see this, the more that we see the efficacy, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more that we see how this is dovetailed, how it's played out in our life to cause us to love Christ, to cherish Christ, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, we actually have a greater assurance. We actually, again, can come to John chapter 14. And this is what's so exciting, again, about this. We can actually go to John chapter 14 and realize and really personalize that my Savior has gone away to prepare a place for him for me and where he is I will be with him we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in this life we will do that greater works of the Lord Jesus we will praise him we will be involved in the making and maturing of disciples of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit has really been given into our lives and we are being made in the image of Christ so here's my plea again tonight if you're a born-again believer you know press on Press on in obedience. Press on in looking in him. There will be that greater assurance, that greater joy that this Christ truly is mine. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the, uh, the glory of this statement. The Lord, it's amazing that is said by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it seems so simple. Yet, Lord, as we exegete, exegete, we see there's a world of wonder in here. A wonder, Lord, that these promises truly are ours in Jesus Christ because they're given to a particular people, aren't they? They're given to those who love Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Lord, it's said so definitely. It's said so certainly that there will be a new life, a new living, a new cherishing of Jesus Christ that we never had before. I just ask, as we look at this, As we meditate upon these truths, that we might seek to glorify him, to praise him, to love him, to cherish him even more in our lives. We thank you for the wonderful security that we can have in Christ. Just be with us now in Christ's name. Amen.